Hello, Pathfinders, and welcome to the Find the Path Adventures presentation of the Hell's Rebels Adventure Path. Uh, this is our rumor mill number three, isn't it? Numero it three. It is. Mm -hmm. Numero three, three, sir. Yes. <laughs> they said we'd never make it. I mean, Victoria had a couple of really <laughs> close moments there. I wasn't sure if she was <laughs> going to make yeah. it. <laughs> fair point. Yeah. Fair point. True. Going for a new record. She's so desperate to like impress everyone that she just keeps getting her butt handed to I know, her. she needs to stop trying so hard. <laughs> well, it certainly has been a time, that's for sure. That is true. Um, this is going to be our rumor mill covering episodes 7, 8, and 9 of Hell's Rebels. So let's get started with some uh, episode recap, though, shall we? Mm -hmm. If we're up for it. Always. I think a bunch of stuff's happened, and not all yeah. of it involves Vittoria nearly dying. So, like most of it. <laughs> <laughs> episode seven begins where the uh, Silver Ravens, as we are now calling ourselves, we are no longer the Sterling Ravens. We're no we longer Sterling, silver. guys. We got an upgrade. Eventually, we'll level up into Gold Ravens. No, nah. no I don't <laughs> want to be Gold. Silver's better. Platinum Ravens. There we go. Platinum. Really? Then we go triple <laughs> Platinum, and we become recording artists. You know what Platinum doesn't do? Bypass Devil Dr. That's true. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Very important. Yeah. Worst comes to worst, you could beat a devil to death with your silver raven figurine. <laughs> that would be weird. Very slow. I'd be afraid I'd work. chip off one of the wings, honestly. <laughs> or as low as a slingstone, mm. hurl it at devil. <laughs> but uh, episode seven, this is where the ravens uh, finally leave the livery, which is good because that place uh -huh. was not yeah. great. Gross. The place was fun. Kind of gross. Gross. Yeah, it was fun. It was just also gross. Very, and then there was very, a bath. Gross. Yes, yes we, we all took a bath. <laughs> I'm going to put that in quotes. Bath. Yeah, you know. we really just dunked ourselves <laughs> in the river. Well, I mean, yeah. that's better than nothing. It is better than it's nothing. I will good. grant you that. You drowned some lice and then you left. Yep. 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 Gremlin lice are gone. Goblin. Didn't they have like little faces? Yes. Little faces. Yeah. The lice also had tiny little possum faces. Oh, oh my god. I didn't creepy. even know that. Man. Not yeah, no, that was that. the thing that made them even weirder. It's like, not only are they lice, <laughs> but they're lice with little possum faces on them. I think you're uh, making that up because I don't remember that. I don't no, no, that 100% happened. Somebody rolled a tape. I remember something I made like a, that. I made yeah. a joke about the gremlin lice also had tiny little gremlin faces. Yes, but were you yep. being yes. serious or are you making a joke? Could be both. Could be. I was making a joke, but it could <laughs> also be true. You don't know. So, some <laughs> of the best jokes are true. <laughs> Technically speaking, those lice were fey. Well, uh, fortunately, they're all dead now. <laughs> they're all dead. Yeah, luckily, they had a short Yay. life. <laughs> From sure. there, though, we decided to hit the streets of Kentargo, heading toward sure. the Long Roads Coffee House. Yep. Got a chance to, you know, take a look around, uh, heading out uh, from the Red Roof District, going north across the bridge. I believe we stopped briefly just to say, oh, yeah, hey, that's where Adria lives. Yeah, I, I took a second. I had a list of all the places that you guys were going to pass while you made your mm. way from one side to the other, in large part because I'm trying to get this in early to establish. While there are the five central characters, Kentargo itself is kind of the sixth character of this mm -hmm. adventure path. Mm -hmm. And so giving you an opportunity to go, that's a place that I can go and buy some groceries. That's a bar mm -hmm. I can hang out with that apparently they're having problems with people being a la old Wild West themed movies <laughs> thrown out through the bar window into the street. I'm ready. Defenstration. <laughs> Walk by. I think you guys pass by the war cage, but I don't think you pass close enough to the war cage to actually see it. But like, that's a place mm -hmm. I can buy weapons later. <laughs> yeah. 
in the distance, you know, you saw the uh, the two major institutions of learning for the city as far as Alabaster Academy and Lady de Kurs. Although Lady mm -hmm. de Kurs is also a very thin slice of the city as far as you must be both half-elf as well as female. <laughs> the Venn diagram is rather small. Although, mm. yeah, two people in the party qualified for it, so. True. True. I didn't get no learning from no school. <laughs> you're well, you're well, rough and tough. hard docs. Nobody asked if I had. <laughs> yeah, true. To be fair, none of us joined together and said, hey, real quick, before we start adventuring together, can I see your resume? Like, where'd you go to school? Like, <laughs> we what should have. done in the past four years? Where do you see yourself in five years? I think it was just because we were passing it. Yeah. And I think that really it's more of a, we've just sort of accepted it on faith that Vittoria knows what she's talking about when it comes to like bodies yeah. and stuff like that. She, yeah, she, <laughs> she talks with authority and doesn't seem squeamish about dead bodies. Like well, she yeah. seems on the level. <laughs> Adria's a little like, I watched her almost kill herself trying to patch a wound. So I don't know. I'm going to keep an eye on this young But I did really well on someone else. Yeah, <laughs> just you've bad yourself. at patching myself up. <laughs> I can't remember if Rachel made the joke and it might have been off mic or if it was on mic as Vittoria. Sorry, I'm used to dead bodies. Or it's like, I'm used I think to I being dead. As, I think I did say it as Vittoria. So it's like, yeah, yeah. okay. She's either a mortician or something's mm. going on there. I was about to say, for all we know, dead. she's some sort of weird necromancer who just doesn't cast <laughs> spells much. I mean. Oh man, she's going to take a wizard dedication. Necromancy. That's true. She's going to raise some skeletons. Mm -hmm. Goodness. What a revolution yeah. that'll be. <laughs> and then you got to the coffee house. It's like, yep. <laughs> we, did. we did finally we, reach the coffee house. And we, it was like the most conspicuous way possible of entering yeah. and coming in. Like, you know. Well, we I mean, talked about to go through doing the back, the back door, but then we didn't. Because like there was a break between those episodes and we forgot. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I think that this is partially Nicolo's fault because he was just like, ooh, donuts, and, and just sort of walked <laughs> in. Donuts! We did, we did get di yeah. distracted by the donuts, Homer. <laughs> Look, yeah, it's halfling-made pastries. You know they're going to be good. You guys didn't really get a chance to explore that element, but if you'd actually tried to go through the back door, you wouldn't have been able to anyway. Oh. oh. The alleyway between that building and the next where the back door is is gated on both ends. Mm. That just seems fence. like it would discourage us from going in that way. Not that we wouldn't be able to. You I know. think more conspicuous would have been you guys <laughs> hopping a fence than you guys walking in the front door. That's yeah. Right. Trying Fair. to like break into the back door of this coffee house is probably going to be more conspicuous in the long run. I mean, it probably would have led to the whole like, why is she fencing off her back alleyway? This doesn't make any sense. Mm. This seems suspicious. True. Which, yeah, we actually did find out uh, Laria Longroad, the proprietor of the coffee house, is in fact sure. a member of the Bellflower Network. Which is cool. Yeah. The only one remaining in the city. Which is not cool. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Night of Ashes really screwed everything up. Yeah. But <laughs> it's so interesting. Yeah. Like, honestly, like, it's kind of like the plot is thickening up to where it's like, how the heck did they find the secret organization, find all of their little, like, safe houses and smuggling routes and all this stuff that they use to get people in and out of the city. Divination. I was going to say I, magic. <laughs> yeah, it's like probably just like hand wave at magic. And that was like some organization right there. Well, they are thrones. Yeah. Got to be pretty potent magic at the very least. I mean, <laughs> the kind that a crazy devil from who knows where that gets hit in the neck with a knife and doesn't die might know. Yeah, possibly, Maybe. possibly. Creepy. But uh, yeah, I'm interested though to see where the Bellflower Network fits into all of this because I don't think I don't think I've ever actually played a game where they've been a major part. 
Well, we haven't played a lot of games in Chiliac, so mm. which is mostly it's where true. they work out of. True. Yeah, yeah, we we didn't delve much into the Bellfire Network in that episode, but they are they're again one of those well-established secret societies where mm-hmm. everyone seems to know about them, but they're also a secret society, kind of like the Whispering Way is a secret society, more Very in secret. that no one knows who belongs to it as opposed to no one knows that it exists. Kind of like the Freemasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. everyone knows that Freemasons exist, even if no one really knows yeah. what, what practices are. You mean yeah. the Stonecutters. <laughs> the Stonecutters, yes. Who breaks every Oscar night? Oh, we, we do. do. We, we do. do. <laughs> we do. <laughs> Um, Ross and I are on the same Simpsons page. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> Woo! But yeah, they're they're basically an organization dedicated to the freeing of all, pretty much the freeing of all slaves. Although they do hmm. focus on halfling slavery. Because I think that's the most that's the most common in in Chiliacs, right? Is mm-hmm. in Chiliacs, uh, yes. halfling enslavement. Yes, and she mentioned that she was a tiller there, which is the kind mm-hmm. of the standard agent for the Bellflower Network. Their leader is called the Farmer. And then all the other, and I think just goes by the name, the farmer. Mm-hmm. I think if you're interested, they talk a bit about the uh, the farmer in Lost Omens uh, Legends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, like I think all of their metaphors and secret codes and stuff is like farming related, right? Well, it's because yeah. you can have a conversation in front of people, and you're yeah. talking about it's like, oh yeah, I've got my crop, and I'm I'm transporting some bushels from this city to that city, yeah. and all the rest of that. Yeah. So it's just, it sounds like regular terminology. Yeah, but. To, to jump ahead a little bit, there was that map on the wall in yeah. the next yeah. episode. So yeah, you guys met up with uh, with Laria, the perhaps the last member of the Bellflower Network. Uh, at the very least, she doesn't know where any other other members are. However, they were the only organization in the city that actually got enough forewarning to leave. Yeah. 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 So silver lining, they mostly left. At least they weren't generally yeah. destroyed. They had gone already by the time things went down. So. She packed her, uh, I think the Incubus was the name of the ship she packed up all of them on. Because I remember that mm. stood out to me. I was yeah. like, that seems odd. Because I believe Incubi are demons. Yeah, they are. They are. <laughs> oh, you're well, right. Yeah, that's technically, weird. yeah, yeah, they are. That's well, weird. It is a smuggling ship, I yeah. guess. It's a smuggling ship, so maybe they yeah, do so that just chaotic. like thumb their nose at a chaos. Yep. The, <laughs> it probably the, runs under the a incubus name and the Irenes, the two ships fighting each other, pirates versus <laughs> Chalaxian uh, sailors. <laughs> mm-hmm. My lord. Got a whole theme going on. We'll see if that ship comes up again. Who knows? Maybe. I'm sure you never you know. Post it somewhere. <laughs> but yeah, we uh, talked a little bit with Laria about you know the sort of inklings of the rebellion. I believe Rexus was there as well, if I remember correctly. Yes, and we he gave him the later. other Raven. So, yep. Sure. Moreover, also the um, various documents that we found as well, in hopes that maybe he can actually interpret them. He does speak all of the languages. Yes, all the languages. What were the languages? Mm-hmm. It was like Elven, Strix, Elven, Celestial, Elven, and Strix. Yeah. I need when I can get a. Feet, a general feat. I need to pick up Strix, because if we're gonna yeah. come across more of that, that would give me all three as well. Also, nice shout out to the Strix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, keep in mind that if you guys get to fifth level and you put one of your, uh, well, actually, no, your intelligence is uh, probably so high that you need to put two points in it. Yep. My intelligence yeah. is an eighteen. Because if your intelligence goes up by a modifier, then you gain a language as well. Yep. I mean, it will before the end of the campaign, I'm sure. Yes. True. You can eventually learn Strix. But who would you learn it from? I guess Rexus. Rexus. <laughs> yeah, Rexus. And then I'll have him teaching me that code, and then Wata will do our secret communications. 
That's not going to work because none of the rest of us speak those languages. For me and Rexus, it would work. <laughs> All right, so you're going to have a pin pal. Yeah, I was going to say, okay, elitist over there in the corner with your smart having and your book learnings. I'm over here like, I have a secret language. will be in the corner here plotting our next caper. I can't teach any of you the secret language I know, but I have Point one. Out, Vittoria also has an 18. Until I find the secret underground druid rebellion. Yeah, druid rebellion. <laughs> druid rebellion. I would say burn it to the ground, but only if it's a controlled fire to promote growth in the future. Yes, because only you can prevent forest fires. I like to think that the druids just hide all of the pigeons during the day, and then at night they release them all in one giant flock, and then they bring them back all into the day. (laughs) Curse you, pigeons! Pigeons are so cute and great. Anyway. They are, it's just Nicolo does not care for them, because again, he's got this thing with birds. So Uh, I was thinking of the three from Animaniacs. Hmm. The good, good feathers. Good, good feathers. Good feathers. Yeah, good feathers. Just as a small side note, because this is becoming apparently a reoccurring theme, I recently read a short story called Pigeons from Hell. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it's weird. not Rick what you think There's it is. a book for everything. Yeah. <laughs> there were pigeons, but arguably not the central focus of that story. <laughs> weird. Strange, but they got the title. So then we went downstairs. That episode ends with us uh, basically facing the door to the second secret lair called sure. uh, the Wasp Nest, according to Laria. Mm-hmm. And we yes. open that door only to hear the chanting of doom reverberating doom. from within. It was nice. Doom. 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 And now we're all dorks going doom. doom. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of fun to say. <laughs> it really is. It was definitely replaced the association I have with Doom and the Doom song <laughs> from Invader Zim that uh, Zer sings. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I always think of the I think of the NPC Deacon from Neverwinter Nights because he he's a bard and when he goes into battle he goes doomy doom doom. <laughs> doomy doom doom. That's his bardic song. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I think of but, doom uh, guy. Yep. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Thou should not think of the doom guy lest you call him to you. <laughs> uh, well, if you're not a demon, that's okay. I think that brings us into episode eight, though, um, where sure. we do enter the wasp nest. And mm-hmm. before long, um, other than the echoes of doom, we find a unfortunate soul half submerged in the water. Vittoria, of course, uh, took this as a necessity to use some of her skills and went to investigate. And unfortunately, again, a pair of albino alligators um, came to snack upon her. Yep. It would have been so cool to wild empathy them and then have two baller albino alligators guard our hideout. But in all seriousness, who on their bingo card had dual albino crocodiles or alligators? (laughs) Like Anybody have that on your bingo card? I thought it might be a shark since Rick was talking about sharks earlier when we were at sharks. I was like, I thought sharks too. I was thinking bull sharks. Yeah. 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 But alligators cool. The alligators are more threatening. I've been playing this game long enough to know that there was something mm. in that stupid water, but, you know. I didn't know how many people were just like, now the dead body reaches up and grabs you and pulls you into the water or something. To I, I was a little worried about that. I'm not going to lie, because I'm like, I don't I don't know, but Vittoria would want to investigate, so I'm just going to go yeah. for it. Is there Detect Undead in 2nd Edition? There is. is. There? I don't know. There is. None of us have it. <laughs> 
it's it's a first level spell too, so I don't yeah. imagine a lot of folks are gonna take it most of the time. Yeah, we only actually killed one of them. Uh, yeah, the, the other, other one got yeah, the other one away. slinked away. Maybe you can wild yeah. empathy that one later, Jessica. Maybe that'd be rad. It'll <laughs> return later for Croc to the revenge. <laughs> alligator, not crocodile. It's like Otherwise, I would have all the crocodile Dundee yeah. jokes. Gator, gator to the revenge. Nope, you did. You did have to fight some alligators. I was disappointed that no one critically failed their uh, recall knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> what, did, what was it if we if we critically failed? It's the exact same as if you succeed, except for you think it's a crocodile. <laughs> <laughs> so we can start that fight. That's Bas- great. Basically, uh, so you yeah. just have two people argue whether it's an alligator or a crocodile the entire. Fight. Oh man. Because well, it can go like... either way. Because uh, crocodiles are better with salt water than uh, alligators are, but alligators are better with colder weather. So it's like, we're mm. further north, so alligator would make sense, but it is a mixed salt fresh water here, so crocodile. <laughs> Could have been great. Goodness. Well, yeah. but we did have Nico like put one in a headlock, so that was that pretty was cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was uh that was lucky. <laughs> I have to say, I'm loving the the burly rogue build that you've got going yeah. on. Like it's uh, it's very interesting to see the physicality kind of come through. I'm a rogue. No, um, <laughs> I announce as I like stride forward in my happy armor. Anyway, <laughs> I just want you to yell sneak attack as you headbutt someone. <laughs> <laughs> I never saw it coming. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Um, I also I do actually really enjoy how combat maneuvers work in second edition. I think yeah. I've talked about this before sure. somewhere, but I just it is so much easier to actually use them in second edition, yes. which I just enjoy because it encourages you to go. Uh, well, maybe I can get it in a headlock. I can at least try. and It's not like the dumbest idea ever. It is one of those neat things where you can do this without we're in first edition of Pathfinder. Not to bash on first edition of Pathfinder, because obviously oh, yeah. I love it. I run two other games of it. <laughs> you have to build yourself to be able to do even a simple combat maneuver. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you don't take something like improved disarm or improved grapple or something along those lines. Yeah, you can still make the check, but you're so penalized for doing it mm-hmm. yeah. that the odds of you ever succeeding are so slim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not to mention the attack of opportunity on every single one if you don't have the improved version. Yep. And then if you're hit, you have to apply the damage you take as a penalty. It's yep. yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it does it does mean that I think we're going to see a lot more crazy. Uh, well, not necessarily crazy, but we're going to see a lot more uh, grappling <laughs> and disarming. And from there, though, yeah. after the alligators uh, begin to flee, we noted another figure approaching us. Which was, it turned out not to be. Not a friend. Not a friend, unfortunately, despite Adria's attempts at befriending it. Yeah. It was sad. We ended that episode with, I think, it leaping directly toward Adria in a sort of blood filled rage. Uh, yeah, it was a Cough, by the way, was the name of the yes. Dire Corby. Paragraph states, now that Cough has killed the sister's only guide and contact in Kentargo, Corva has exiled the angry Corby sibling to this bunk area where she spends the past few days throwing intermittent temper tantrums. If Koff hears the PCs battling the alligators, she watches from the shadows, delighted by the violence. But if they win, it takes her two rounds to register that the alligator's dead. (laughs) She then Mm -hmm. flies into a rage and attacks, fighting to the death. Oh my gosh. Which is why she kept kind of like waiting for it to keep going and then goes, you killed my alligator. (laughs) 
we didn't really want to kill it. It's just uh, I didn't want to die. Yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming she'll still attack us even if the alligators got away, to be fair. As I would say, I don't think Cough really cares about that distinction. <laughs> yeah. Nope, not one bit. I was sad because I found the Doom thing very cute. And then yeah. big old burly bird comes out and starts punching us. <laughs> it should have been more like Doom. <laughs> and that does roll us into episode nine where that is basically that fight at the beginning at any rate. I, I just really hate it when like we build up like a really cute encounter that it, it turns violent. And then like, I get like, I think what was it? I criticaled to kill the Dire Corby. I felt really bad. I was like sad. It's always you. It was so cute. I don't know if maybe the book does or maybe you had plans, but if we managed to defeat Cough without actually killing her, was there a way, like, is there anything that happens? Uh, It gets even sadder. Oh, Oh, what? Because her sisters. Yeah, because Corvus realized that there's no, that they are violent to the point of fearlessness, almost to the point of insanity. Like Ooh. suicidal rage. Yikes. Yeah, that would have been hard on her. Yeah, that was just, yeah, that was just a really sad situation. It was. But we got allies. Well, yeah, and uh, we also managed to find some evidence of the Bellflower Network's operations, mm-hmm. which I believe was that map that I think Heather mentioned a moment yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We detected some folks sneaking and managed to figure out that that was, in fact, uh, Corva and her sisters. Which, by the way, I still love these names for the sisters. Um, yeah, <laughs> Mags, Jay, Maggie, and Treat. Very yes. nice. Mm-hmm. And Corfa. Yes, yes, yes. Are all the sisters' names puns on birds? Because I only get two of them. Treep is the one I don't get. Yeah. Treep, I believe, is a certain type of. Because Jays and Magpies and, and then Corvids. Corvids, yeah. Apparently it's part of the Raven family. Yeah, that see. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I just was like, okay, so they're they're all birds. And they're, they're birds yeah. and names. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, really the only the only kind of fun thing there also was the uh, the Fushi sisters did mention how they were from Riddleport and uh, did a little name drop of uh, Clegg Zincher. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so Nicola was the only one to identify. And then Ross, I think, as a player, was the only one to get that because he is a uh, character that appears a couple of times during the events of Second Darkness. Mm-hmm. No wonder I don't know who that person is. True. So for any of our yeah. Second Darkness fans out there, probably the most underappreciated Pathfinder 1 Adventure Path. Yeah, so that's why I was kind of freaking out. Because I'm like, I know who that is. <laughs> and... Mm. <laughs> He's a bad guy. And then we guy. had a big argument about gang versus not gang. Yeah, gang has a negative connotation. It, it, it really does, yeah. Yeah. It makes us sound like a bunch of thugs, not like people trying to fight for the improvement and like safety of their city. I just, I don't like the connotations that come with that word, and neither does Cesare. <laughs> yeah, well, Adrian and in the case care. of the Fushi sisters, they were referencing it in relation to criminal activity. Yep. Well, what we're doing is criminal. Yeah, but that doesn't mean we're a gang. Well, from the rich and good I, to think, I think it's more about the attitude you go into it. Because, like, if you're going into it with the trying to be a patriot and, like, you know, lead a, a rebellion that I wish could be peaceful, but, you know, unfortunately, violence is the only way now. I think that's different than I'm trying to enrich myself and every and everybody who works for me um, by doing illicit things. I think that's yeah. the kind of main difference. I eagerly look forward to Lucia's downsliding into ends justify the means. <laughs> yeah, Adrian's like, I'm coming up from there and I'm just like, oh, 
Hey. I'll meet you halfway. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We'll meet you in chaotic neutral. <laughs> the means justify the ends. We, we need to just workshop this a little bit. We'll come up with a, with a better name. The Silver Ravens? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's actually true. Uh, <laughs> so from there, though, we... Do you have the Ushi sisters helping us out now, which is going to be pretty cool. I'm actually looking forward to finding out more about them as well. And from there, though, uh, I think that's where we left off is at in the uh, wasp's nest, ready to get going and I guess get some rebellion started. Yeah, we still have a statue to go investigate. It's true. Mm, oh, yeah. That's true. And, uh, yeah. And a portcullis to raise. I was going to lower the portcullis so that way the alligators don't come back. <laughs> Need to raise the portcullis so the alligator swarm can fit through. They already can. <laughs> <laughs> it's when it's, a, when it's a swarm, it's difficult to get them under the portcullis. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Churning mass. But uh, from there, it, um, if we're ready, it seems that we have some emails today. Um, it's true. Email. We've had yeah. some great input recently from the uh, from the the base out there. So Yay. thank you, listeners, and continue doing so. And our first one here is from Brayden, who has declared themselves a citizen of Ridwin Nidal. Ah, mm. oh, there you go, Heather. Got your Nidal Welcome friend. to Nidal. Uh, Brayden says, hello, find the path crew. Hi, Brayden. Hello. Hello. Hello there. Sorry. I hope you have been enjoying your first few sessions in the AP. I am really enjoying the characters, their backstories, and their voices. So once again, all of you are doing an amazing <laughs> job on another campaign that I look forward to listening to for quite some time. Aw, thank you Aww, for yeah. saying wow. you like my horrible Italian accent. <laughs> I was going to say, thank you for saying you like the voices, because we sure don't. <laughs> hey, we like our voices. I was going to say, I like Adria's voice, if nothing. No, uh, I like all of our voices. <laughs> yeah. He appreciates the amount of effort Efforts. that we're putting into mm -hmm. We get an E for effort, everybody. We're improving. Okay. It is a hey, fictional world. We can sound however we wish. That's true. That's true. <laughs> But uh, thank you for your support there, Brayden. Uh, yep. He also has a question. My question for the group is, how do you all feel about intelligent magic items? I often dislike adding them because they distract from familiars and the like, but they can be quite fun and add to the story. Have any of your characters used an intelligent item? I played a Black Blade Magus in 1E. I don't know. I hmm. feel like they're just like a familiar, except they're an item. Uh, I yeah. had a Black Blade Magus in, my, in the Skull and Shackle game that I played in with Rick, hmm. and so it was nice. also, of course, intelligent. I have never used an intelligent weapon, I don't think. And I don't That's think just an intelligent used... magic item. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I don't think even for intelligent magical items, I've never used one, because, yeah, I'm usually not the person who gets, like, the cool magic sword at the end, you know? Rachel and I, years apart, both got the same magic item. Spoiler. Uh, okay. When Ross ran through Curse of the Crimson Throne... Uh, I did get to use Sorethiel, and when oh. I ran Rachel, Jess, and Jordan, and Heather through Curse of the Crimson Throne, Rachel got to use Sorethiel. I didn't keep it, though. You kept it through the rest of the AP, and what we did that had you return it was an extenuating circumstances that most campaigns probably wouldn't have had. Sure. Yeah, as far yeah. as the overall question on uh, intelligent magic items... I think from a storytelling perspective, there's just something exciting about them, right? Like it's like 
Mm-hmm. Something's exciting whenever there's like an intelligent magic item, in, whether it's a intelligent feather duster or a really cool sword or something like that. But I think the problem you can run into with like intelligent magic items is only one person can really use it. So mm-hmm. that's always like everybody's going to start fighting over who gets to use the cool thing, you know? My thought process on it is... I completely understand where you're coming from as far as disliking to add them because they can distract from familiars and so on. Although in mm-hmm. the case of most familiars, a familiar can only talk to one member of the party. Whereas Not in second magic edition. Items, speak to multiple. <laughs> Not in second edition. Yeah, second edition changed that. I've always liked intelligent magic items that communicate via manner or via ways other than speech. Mm. Like the ones that can communicate through emotions. Uh, when I ran a intelligent magic weapon for Rachel, I had it communicate through memory. Yeah. Mm. Where it's, if you said something that pleased it, you know, have a vision of your mother smiling down at you. Mm. Take okay. that as a yes. I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> Battle breaks out and this thing comes like, and distantly you have this memory of this draconic roar of rage and anger. And it's like, all right, well, the sword's angry now. Finding fun ways to have it communicate otherwise, I think is a, is a good way to to balance it out and still allow familiars to have the spotlight. And of course, sometimes a party doesn't have a familiar or any sort of extra character with it, so. True. Yeah. Not the way we play. We always seem to have something. (laughs) (laughs) That to say, yeah, this cruise. I can't say I've had much experience with intelligent items, to be honest, from from a player's perspective at any rate. But from a GM perspective, there is a chance of going overboard with it. I think intelligent items, like once you get into, oh yeah, we got a half dozen extra personalities with us. It gets yeah. to be a little much. Mm-hmm. Usually intelligent artif- items are artifacts, so hopefully you're not having a half dozen artifacts in your back pocket. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Just just as a bit of a clarification, because it does kind of tie into uh, the recent episodes of Hell's Rebels, though. The ravens that the party has received are not intelligent. Yeah. Each of them does have an individual personality, in much the same way as every pet that you ever own will have a different personality. Mm-hmm. Are you calling our pets stupid? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Are you <laughs> yes. intelligence? You can train them to do things. Uh, these but birds they have know. animal level intelligence. So yeah. these birds know technically because like they're magical constructs that have a limited. Yeah, yeah range but they of already know that they already know their tricks. Basically, yes. I no. think what Rick's saying is no, they're not artifact level items with actual intelligence. They just act like birds. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, ravens are extraordinarily intelligent. Yeah, it's like these things have intelligence, actually. But uh, yes, they they pretend to be these things. Yeah. From there, though, uh, Brayden closes out with thank you for the entertainment this last year. I look forward to this year's adventures. Yay. Thank As you. We look forward to bringing them. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Appreciate that, Brayden. All right. And then our next email is actually a return from uh, Wouter. Uh, from Belgium, which we placed them, I think, in the last rumor mill. Does anyone actually remember where, though? No. Nope. People should include where they're from because I'm never going to remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that is some sage advice so many for sure. At this point. So let's say in transit right now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, I, we don't like write them down. I think when we declare we them, really we need to. <laughs> maybe we should have, but by this point, it's like there's already there's so, so many. many. Yeah. Look, let's go listen through like 50 plus after party episodes. So uh, request from here on out. If you are a returning writer to us, please include where we put you. <laughs> or if you don't want us to pick where you're from, go ahead and give yourself a location. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, yeah, we get cool our own choices and then we get to have the liberty of forgetting them again. 
I seriously thought Rachel was going to be like, for anyone that's doing a re-listening, re-listen to the entirety of Mummy's Mask, if you could also <laughs> jot down. Oh, right. God. No. We'll send you a t-shirt. Oh, my God. We yeah. know someone's going to do that, Rick. If they want to do that for a t-shirt, I mean, I will yeah, I'll definitely them. send them a t-shirt. Yeah, I'd give sure. them a t-shirt I will for do that. that. Yeah. I will sign that t-shirt for and they, someone. They wouldn't, yeah. watch, they wouldn't have to listen to every episode, just the yeah, after just parties. The after parties. True. And even then, just the letter part, they don't have to listen to the first part. True. But uh, from there, though, uh, Wooter says, greetings, fledgling ravens. Nice. Greetings <laughs> to you as well. Wow. Okay. Thank you for taking the time to comment on my last email. Thank you for writing your last email. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I am, in fact, from a faraway land called Belgium, where rivers flow with chocolate and roads are paved with fries. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I actually my have friends that live in Belgium and I've always wanted to go visit and I never have maybe one day I will I want to sell the chocolate rivers <laughs> I just want to eat them okay I have a question for Vuter I have friends from Belgium and some of, uh, or one of them brought back these tiny forks that she said you guys eat french fries with and I would like a verification if that is true. <laughs> you have tiny forks specifically for your fries yes. in Belgium. So I need to know if this is true or if my aunt was just messing with me. <laughs> so if you could clarify for that for me, that would be great. Now on to your question. Well, hashtag tiny fork gang or hashtag nah tiny forks. Yes. Nah tiny forks. All right. Uh, but Wouter continues, uh, my name is uniquely Dutch with no good English or French variant. Mm -hmm. Typically, I accept oh. Wouter, but more correct is a W in front of outer wall. So like so Wouter? Wouter. Wouter. Oh, it's kind of like Wouter. Wouter. Yeah. I apologize, Wouter, for uh, butchering your name. I butcher all words, uh, both English as well as Belgian, apparently. You're, you're, the, you're that uh, Will Smith, in the, or uh, not Will Smith, Bruce Willis in the Fifth Element. I speak two languages, English and bad English. <laughs> That's pretty much us in a nutshell. Pretty accurate. Yeah. I speak good English. I just can't pronounce good English. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Wouter continues, I have some questions for the players, some of which may already be answered by the time this gets read. Question number one. How do you foresee your jobs, in quotation marks, in Cantargo being impacted as the adventure progresses? Well, I don't have a job currently. Adria is going to hire Lucia. There you go. I'm going to be employed, so I'm looking up. <laughs> and then I don't know how we're going to keep the shop open, but somebody's going to have to be here to have it open. So I guess we'll we're going to we're going to have to delegate part of our rebellion to keeping your shop open, I guess. Well, uh. well we got not. some Tingu buddies now that could like rotate watching the shop. Well, it's more that it's suspicious if I suddenly am never at my shop. I mean, we're not going to be adventuring and doing rebellion stuff every day. So I imagine... You know, no, twenty four seven. I was gonna say Lucia could, is probably the only person currently unemployed, so I could lead the rebellion from the front. <laughs> I don't know if we quite quite trust you with that yet. <laughs> Cesare has mornings free; he just teaches in the afternoon. I have nights free. We're gonna do okay, some so scheduling. We, <laughs> we're gonna have some planners. scheduling conflicts, just like your normal D and D group. <laughs> yeah. 
because uh, Vittoria still works at the coffee shop and then goes to classes, so she's probably got the fullest schedule out of everybody. At some point, mm. you'll have to do your homework in the middle of all well, this rebellion. Plus, she also does investigations on the side. I was going to say, I guarantee you, Cesare asks us for help grading papers. <laughs> He's already done I have, that. <laughs> I have known. Yeah. I, I, yeah I, oh, no, we already made that joke. Never mind. What do you? No, no, no. Because we all know that the cat really grades the papers. Oh, she yeah. definitely helps. I would find that super cute because then there's like, if you do a really good job, there's a little cat paw and it and it, and, it, and with the clock, <laughs> good job is written. It's like oh, a she sticker. has she has the familiar trait where she can manipulate objects. She can totally write. She's well, sitting there, sit there balancing on her butt with both paws up, one covered in black ink, one covered in red ink, depending Aww. on how she feels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there she, just, she uses her little claw to, to as a, her calligraphy. Yeah, it, these, yeah, exactly. <laughs> on the on the subject, however, of uh, the jobs in Kentarga, I will say that one of the things that I've always found the most interesting, I think one of the things that makes Spider-Man such a relatable superhero mm. is how much Spider-Man has to b- balance being a regular person versus mm-hmm. being... Being, um, I think the recent Marvel Spider-Man game did a great job of showing yeah. that. Where it's, yes, yes, Peter is always viewed as being really unreliable and flaky because he's always off saving the day and then showing back up. And they're like, "Well, Peter's late for work again. It must be sleeping mm. in the lazy." <laughs> so I <laughs> yeah. imagine it'll eventually be something like that. It's like, man, Cesare must have found himself a, a significant other because. He's missing all these classes and suddenly yeah. just slacking off. Maybe he's putting it in for a new job over at the Elven Academy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Nicolo's, I think, job is really the most nebulous out of any of the employed characters. So I don't actually foresee a whole lot of schedule conflicts with sure. him. But we'll see. Yeah. Water then goes on to ask question number two. When you were told about a campaign centered about being part of a rebellion, again in quotes, what are some of your expectations? Hidden identities? Maybe you all need the vigilante archetype? Guerrilla warfare? Or will you be public figures daring Thrum to come arrest you? Uh, if we were playing this in first edition, I, I would absolutely play it a vigilante because I've always wanted to play one and it's, it has to be a city campaign for that to make a lot of sense. I kind of went into it with the idea of like intentionally not putting expectations because that's more in line with my character because I kind of wanted to play like the accidental revolutionary. I mean, I figure we're going to be more, you know, clandestine about our identities. It's one of those, yeah, the people in the rebellion might know who we are, but until the big final showdown, hopefully the Thrones won't find out who we are, because that'll be bad real quick. I own a shop. I'm easy to find. My shop's breakable. Very breakable. <laughs> so would you guys be interested in a little preview for what you're going to be oh, Lord. dealing with in the here upcoming episode here? Yes. I was next we'll say, doing, absolutely. Paperwork. So, well, paperwork. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I didn't realize we had to register and get a license to rebel. Welcome to Chiliax. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when we when we do get to building the rebellion, which will be actually this coming episode, in episode number ten, once the uh, the Silver Ravens actually sit down to finalize it, your rebellion is broken up into three different categories, and you will all get to choose what the focus for the rebellion is. Ooh. And you will get to choose between. Let's see. I wrote it down here. If you want your organization to focus on political clout and popularity, you can select loyalty as your rebellion focus. If you want your group to remain sneaky and subtle in its opposition of government, select secrecy as its focus. And if you want your group to be scrappy and eager to get into fights against Thrones agents, select security as your focus. I know which one Nico wants. I know which one I want. And and we won't debate it here. I I think individually all of us could argue for different parts of that. Yeah. 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 I look forward to hearing you all debate 
over uh, mm -hmm. what direction this should go. And I imagine it's going to be a majority rules kind of situation. Probably. So, yeah, it was very astute of, of you, uh, Walter, that, yeah, that's that's kind of your options there, whether or not it's mm. uh, secret identities, guerrilla warfare or public figures. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I feel like secret identities is the way to go, but we'll get yeah, into that too. later. <laughs> I think we're not going to be as diverse on that as one might expect. <laughs> we'll see. We'll, we'll probably all debate now. it. I'm gonna say we'll get Shouldn't into we'll see it. We'll see next time. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Brought I didn't up. bring it up. Wouter brought it up. Blame Wilder. <laughs> <laughs> Wilder, it's all your fault. Wow. Okay, I guess we're all gonna throw Wilder under the bus there. Yeah. Wilder in your amazing castle of cookies with your rivers of chocolate. Mm, Let me know about the forks. Forks. That's important. Well, uh, <laughs> on that note, Wilder signs off with pleasant adventuring. So thank you. We appreciate that. Um, yeah, sure. We'll see whether the rebellion uh, survives their first get together and trying to determine. They will not. First no. order of business. What do we focus on? Second order of business. Cloaks or half cloaks? <laughs> cloaks. I don't know. Edna Mode would probably tell us neither. No capes. No, no capes. Jackets. Really rad jackets. <laughs> I'd be down But no tails. Jacket. But I have a tail. Ah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, All right. Uh, so we have another email here, and uh, this one is from Chris in Bloomington, Indiana. Bloomington, Indiana. Indiana. Never been there to Indiana at all. Indiana is one of the few states I've never mm. been. Bloomington, Indiana is home of Indiana University, founded in 1820, uh, oldest and largest state university. Um, cool. Known for its love of basketball, according known to Known for its love of basketball. <laughs> mm. uh, also, apparently, it's early years where people by people or were people. Peopled by people. People by people. <laughs> people by people. Unlike, is otherwise an entirely cat-based economy. <laughs> In the early years, most people made a living by farming, limestone extraction, and timbering for the Dwarves. furniture industry. Ooh, Dark Moon Vale. Hmm. It does kind of fit Dark Moon Vale a little bit. Do we want to put them in Falcon's Hollow? <laughs> That's fun. There's somebody else right. there. They won't be alone. I was, was going to say, it's mostly lumber yeah. there, but... Yeah, all right. Lumber. Falcon's Hollow it is, then. There you go, Chris. There's good apple cider there. Yeah, true. Hey. It's, it's being Enjoy. improved slowly but surely. We'll get there eventually. So Chris opens. Hello, crew. Hello, Hello. Chris. Hola. Hello. It's been a real pleasure adding another one of your shows to my rotation. When my job is not quarantining and we're not under any snow, I currently have about 10 hours of commuting plus six hours of running a week to listen to podcasts. Wow. Yeah. Oh, no, that's 10 hours a week up for okay. all of his ten hours. Oh. I, thought, I, mean, I yeah. thought it was like five hours each way, and I was about to yeah. lose I'm more impressed by the six hours of running a yeah, week. Yeah, the running yeah. is very yeah. impressive. Yeah. That is I, impressive. No, my knees say no. Yep. Uh, which, as you might imagine, requires a good amount of content. Mm. Yes. Sure. I've loved adding another round of your wonderful voices to the rotation. If Aww. only for another chance to shake my head that Jordan has once again chosen to play a character class that requires him to roll dice. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I, let's be honest. At this point, I'm just a masochist for dice rolling. <laughs> I do this wizard. to myself. <laughs> he says, I mean, I get it, but also, come on, dude. Uh, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> nice. Nice. Noted. If 
if we've learned anything from uh, who is it on our Discord that's keeping track of all the dice rolls? Hadrian. 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 Yeah. If we learn anything from that, it is that spellcasters roll no dice. Yeah. 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 I mean, <laughs> that is the best part of spellcasters. There's a reason they're my favorite class, and yet somehow I never play them on the pod. Jordan playing yeah. a marshal is bringing down all of your averages. <laughs> I'm sorry. The last look. episode that's up there, one person rolled dice. It was me, and it was a diplomacy check. <laughs> Yeah, I think I there was no combat from that episode, though. <laughs> sure. uh, he continues, though, saying, thanks for ensuring that my Tuesday mornings and alternate weekly Mondays and Wednesdays are filled with joy. You're welcome. Glad yeah, that we can welcome. help out. Absolutely. Yeah. He then says, uh, I have, I promise, not mean-spirited complaint and a pair oh. of questions. Oh, oh, no. oh so, a negative I do appreciate, comment. not negative, I appreciate some constructive criticism. Yeah, we'll Absolutely, take it. Totally, yeah. yeah, actually, for sure. Yeah, we definitely, like, if you have, you know, things to say, we definitely want to hear them. Um, and we, I think we, that, we, we all try to get better at what we're doing, and the only way absolutely. we know is that people tell we us we do We appreciate constructive criticism, but, like, you know, you suck doesn't help. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that would have it's been filtered out before we even got on air with it, so... <laughs> Unless that's them saying you suck in too much air and it's picked pig, up <laughs> on the microphone. Mm. That, that would point, be specific. Destructive. That's actually, yeah, that'd be good feedback. But uh, he says that his complaint, um, which he goes into first, I'm not getting nearly enough Hell's Rebels. Oh. Uh, <laughs> that's not even a complaint. Wow, we, uh, I, we really buried the lead on that one. He says, I wish that it were weekly or barring that, that you had it set up somehow that Hell's Rebels and Tyrant's Grasp came out on alternate re- weeks rather than both on the same week. Mm. Is there any chance that they could be alternating weeks and not doubling up? I think that's really more a Rick question. But. <laughs> that is entirely a Rick question. One of my friends that listens to the pod also asked that question, and I was like, I don't, I don't have control over that. <laughs> I'll give you three reasons in rapid fire. First off, it just happened to be the first week of the month was also, or the first week of the year was also a week in which Tyrant's Grass came out. So there was actually no planning as far as that element of it was concerned. <laughs> we just wanted to launch it at the very beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I find it a little bit easier to kind of load all of my editing during one time instead of having to break it up. That way I have a, I work a ton this week on editing and then the following week I have off. Mm-hmm. Thirdly, and this is somewhat unintentional, though a couple of people have mentioned it. And so I will say, uh, oh, I've already let the cat out of the bag that it was unintentional. <laughs> it does give everyone an idea of how good the world could be if the this was <laughs> if we had mm. enough Patreon backers to hit the yeah. goals to make those I was going to say that is, a, that is a goal yeah. for us to get to. So, I mean, we're we're at a little over 1,700 until we get to uh, a weekly Tyrant's Grasp. So, tell your friends, tell your family, steal your friends' phones and log into <laughs> Patreon. <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Do tell your friends to listen to us and then tell them all the reasons why they should stick through it and uh, get to the good parts. Yep. Which is like all episodes. Tell your enemies too. (laughs) Dare your enemies to listen to us. (laughs) There you go. You you do a little reverse psychology and be like, oh man, you wouldn't like this. This is like, you know. This is way too intellectual. (laughs) <laughs> There's one criticism we have that I would accept is that we're too intellectual. That makes me feel good. Too many animal facts. <laughs> too many druid facts. Too many nineties references. <laughs> too many barely properly pronounced words. Uh, however, he does follow up with a first question that is more lighthearted. Uh, I have just started getting into Pathfinder Society and am rocking an abjure because of my deep and abiding love of Hollis. Heck yeah. Uh, hey. <laughs> woo. I had some difficulty linking in a character backstory into Pathfinder Society structure. Any tips for connecting characters to the organized play world? Yep, you society people. <laughs> it depends on the type of character you're playing. 
If I was going to make a society character, a big part of their backstory is why they are in the society. It's like, why are they doing this? Why are they interested? Mm. And that would help tie you into the society and then give you a reason to go do all the shenanigans. Mm -hmm. Society is definitely interesting, but it's not one of those organizations a character joins lightly. So that's definitely going to be a big reason why you're doing that rather than not facing off against dangers in ancient tombs and nearly dying to like centuries old curses or something. Yep. Um, like you do. <laughs> like yeah, you do. And one thing that can really help that I found really interesting is read the book on the Pathfinder Society. And oh, yeah. It gives you a really good, like, in-depth walkthrough of just mm. how hard it is to actually get into the society. It is yeah. not an easy thing. Uh, they also, if you read the Pathfinder book, there's a lot of information about the training you get. There's lots of, like, a school. And then when you pick a faction to belong to, that can influence, like, if you're part of Vigilant Seal why maybe you had some weird experience with the undead and you wanted to help protect people so like your faction can guide some of that too yeah uh i think the one tip that i would add to all of that is decide where your character's from and figure out what the closest lodge to them is because that's probably going to influence their view on the pathfinder society and why they might have joined to begin with true i'll throw out the joking response in here is (laughs) that you are playing a wizard and therefore Unlimited power. <laughs> I mean, you know. Power! Power! <laughs> and they just have to do that hand motion every single mm-hmm. time, like you're electrocuting a Jedi. <laughs> All right. So next, Chris's uh, second question is a bit more serious, uh, but mm-hmm. asked with all the love in the world, and it does require a bit of setup. So let's go on ahead and dive into that a bit. Okay. Okay. I started listening to FTP because not only did you have excellent audio and role playing, but you had a balance of genders that was a lot more inviting than other shows. Um, While I've enjoyed Mummy's Mask, I've also listened to it knowing that it's something that's drawing a lot of cultural cues from Egypt and that you're approaching things from the perspective of a bunch of nerds from Texas, which... I mean, mm-hmm. guilty as that's charged. That's what we are. Yeah, that's, I mean, uh, it's true. <laughs> Both of these are things I've gotten a lot more aware of in the last 12 months, for what I'd hope are obvious reasons. Mm. Yeah. On the one hand, that's made me excited that I'm seeing a bit of focus in the 2E source books on Garund. I'm still excited for some upcoming AP around uh, Natambu. Um, yes. I know, yeah, several of us are as well. Mm-hmm. Um, since it's a great excuse to not just play the same medieval whitewash characters. Yep. On the other hand... I'm having to take a second or third look at older APs like Crimson Throne, which has some problematic things in the Shawanti, not to mention a massive plague storyline. True. Yes. How has your approach to tabletop RPGs changed, if at all, because of Black Lives Matter or other real world political events? Are there APs you wouldn't play, character concepts you've tossed or decided to bring forward, or other shifts you've made in response to shifts in the national conversation in other ways? Oh, that's a good question. That's yeah. a really, really good question. question. I could talk. I can tackle part of this with a little bit of an anecdote, a little behind the scenes here. Before we decided to start doing Hell's Rebels, we were considering for a time doing Agents of Edgewatch. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Originally, just because, hey, look, it's going to be a fun police procedural drama, so on. We're thinking like CSI, you know, mm-hmm. is kind of what yeah. we're going to be doing. And as the events of early 2020 came about, and as we put more thought into it, we decided it felt like it would not be a good time. It would be somewhat tone deaf, and it would not be a good fit for us as a podcast. Yeah. Having read the adventures, I think that the adventures are very good. 
and with some changes with some of the changes that Paizo included in the adventure, as they became more aware of the optics of it. Mm -hmm. I think that it could be something that could be played very well, but it did not appeal to us at that time. So that was yeah. a major change that we have, we've had to do as we always try our best to not only be representative to the, uh, the LGBTQ community, as we have always tried to be more representative in the games, but also respectful of a variety of different culture and people. We want to show it with respect. Yes. So it's fortunately a little bit easier when you're dealing with ancient Egypt, as it is a civilization that is no longer around. And mm -hmm. we're not trying to appropriate from the current Egyptian people. Mm -hmm. Yes. Just looking at the future, um, Bagambia is one of my favorite places in Galarian. Mm -hmm. I would love to hear about some people of color running that adventure path, like promote Absolutely. them. Yes. That's, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not only did they did Paizo do a lot of work to make sure that authentic voices were writing that adventure and the mm -hmm. source book that's coming out, but, you know, I'm going to play it in my own home group, not on the pod, because it seems super fun. And I want to monetarily support yes. representation in gaming. But mm -hmm. it makes a lot more sense and is not icky if people who are from a more varied background than we are, uh, are the ones that bring that to the public. You know, all we can do is empathize and, you know, be allies to what you're talking about. So, um Paizo is a very diverse company and the writing is very diverse. So some of the things that we've done with like the LGBT is about representation. But at the end of the day, we we don't understand like what it can be like to be in the closet or, you know, what kind of prejudices you have in well, the real world. It is a fantasy world, which means, you know, you don't have to bring that kind of bigotry into your fantasy world. Absolutely. You know? exactly. That is the best mm -hmm. part, actually. Which is why pretty yeah. much universally any of our characters who are in that community, I mean, Hollis just is cool. Sagira doesn't have any issues because she's a lesbian. It's like that <laughs> stuff is so, it's just normal, which I hope Because that's is good. what we're aspiring to get to in our yeah. real world, you yeah. know, is like we want it to be mainstream for lack of a better word you know it's we we're gonna do our part but we also don't want to take away from people who can do it better yeah for the second part of that question where it's the uh, character concepts that are tossed out or i encourage everyone to explore with their characters but at the same time in a respectful manner i that anyone wanting to play a person of color is welcome to do so as long as it is not trying to appropriate or you know like a character caricature you don't want to be like the yes. stereotype yeah exactly and if we were ever to make a character or make a comment or anything of the sort that did offend or bother some of our listeners we would definitely take that to heart and you know reconsider but we do go out of our way to try to prevent that yes. from ever being an issue mm -hmm. and not just in the pod but like in, in, life. Real, in, in life. real life yeah yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, jessica does raise a very valid point though which is uh definitely go and pick up this upcoming magambia oh. adventure path yeah uh, amazing it looks so good. i think yeah. that it is it is a story that is probably going to be great and i am very excited to see not only these stories coming from these, this amazing diverse team that Paizo's put together for it, but also what they will be delivering for Pathfinder moving forward from here. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. so, Again, my journey adventure path. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually. 
But Chris uh, closes off then with thanks for all you do. And we appreciate that, Chris. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. And thank you for bringing up such an important subject. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, absolutely. For sure. Definitely. I think that that is that sort of consideration really needs to be done with all all sorts of media. I mean, not just podcasts, but mm-hmm. and in your home games, you should really consider this as well. Whether or not you're being mm-hmm. recorded, uh, approaching, yeah, playing a person of color or someone from another culture with respect. Yeah. Um, all right. Do we have time for this bonus question? Uh, sure. We'll make it fast. We have a bonus question. It is from Jay of our subreddit fame. Hey, it's Jay. (laughs) Hello, Jay. And Jay reached out to us on Twitter to ask, I'd love to hear about any historical references you looked into about revolutions under fascistic slash authoritarian regimes, as well as if the current protests against the police in America may have affected how y'all are playing the show out. Um, Back to back on that one. Yeah. Oh boy! Yeah. yeah, this is a this is a heavy heavy questions. Yeah, a lot of my college uh, education was in world history, so I learned. And wait, I took a Russian class, so we learned a lot about Russian Revolution. I learned yeah. a lot about the French Revolution. Before you continue, just add a we on there. Jessica and I took the same classes. Oh, okay, mm. that's true. Rachel and I were together, uh, and then I taught. Uh, U.S. and world history in a private school where I got to t- teach real history, and then I'm just pretty politically active. So yeah, all of this is very uh, impactful in the way that uh, Adria is going to approach stuff. I'm, I follow current events pretty closely. Um, we talk about them amongst ourselves frequently okay. off air, and then I'm also like a, a history buff. So I've and I took some European history in high school and college. So again, it's one of those just kind of reoccurring themes that mm-hmm. we just, I just have general knowledge about. I don't think I, I didn't do any extra research necessarily for Hell's Rebels, but it's, it's something I am aware of in general. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, I'll kind of just mirror that because I, I did a fair amount of research into basically what was it like, you know, in World War II is one of those like really interesting events where, there's so much information to go through um, that you can find out a lot about, you know, Mussolini. You can find out about Hitler. You can find out the Spanish exactly Civil War that happened in that same kind of time mm-hmm. period. Uh, there's just so much information that, yeah. on it. I didn't really necessarily yeah. do extra research, but it was top of mind for me that I wanted to play. I wouldn't say like I wanted to play a character that was had every reason not to do the rebellion, but just wanted to do the right thing. And I think that was like the key motivator for kind of what my character ended up becoming. Uh, For my part, um, I did actually do a little bit of research um, into labor union movements and Mm. the labor union, uh, the labor movement of the late 19th, early 20th century, mostly in America, talking about things like, you know, Mother Jones, the Wobblies, like a lot of that sort of stuff, because I feel like that's a component that could be handy to have in uh Kentargo. so maybe sure. we'll find out i don't know but yeah. uh yeah spoken uh, that, like a man with a degree in history yeah <laughs> i mean this is true for your backstory i do yes <laughs> it also makes sense with ross's backstory yeah, true. <laughs> to be fair half of this group is either lit majors with history bents or history majors with literary bents yeah yeah <laughs> gonna say we're all we're all big reading nerds so yeah yeah. (laughs) while i did not specifically look into any single 
fascist regime. I do take a lot of inspiration for for the events that are going on in the, uh, especially because it is a a city, Ravenel, the province as well as the city of Cantargo that is under occupation basically by an external force mm-hmm. from the the fighters, the French resistance movement in World War II is where I've mm-hmm. kind of drawn a lot of my inspiration for it from. Yeah. Again, it's a it's a fantasy version, and it is something that. I wanted to particularly keep this AP, while you may not necessarily feel that from some of the grossness that you've had to deal with in the first (laughs) adventures, specifically keep it lighter. Mm. And as such, while I am leaning into the whole fascist regime and overcoming an authoritarian dictatorship, it is not as steeped in the history as it probably could have been. And I could certainly see a grittier version of Hell's Rebels that would appeal to a great number of people. We kind of talked about this in the first uh, rumor mill. Hell, For us, Hell's Rebels is a game about hope. So yes. while we are in a revolution and it is a fascist regime that has taken over the city, ultimately this game is going to try to be more positive and it's going to be about the hope of things getting better. Yeah. Which is, I think, something all of us need right now. The idea is that it's on the upward swing instead of the downward spiral. Yes. Yeah. T- technically, so, the seven days of downward spiraling happened before the adventure started. Or just started. rock bottom all the time. I'm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is not time's grasp. Time's grasp. Yeah. You raise a very valid point there, which is something that we came into this was my own personal view on the the world as a whole, and I know it's not as nihilistic as many people are. My own personal view is that things are bad, but it will get better. The moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. So optimistic. Well quoted. Justice! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. So, so I guess, I guess to end this, hope is the story here, (laughs) people. As serious as some of the topics in this rumor mill have been today, hope. Be good to each other. Machine men with machine hearts and machine minds. In a world where you can be anything, be kind. Yes. Mm. So yes, my my inspiration for this is one part uh, historical as far as the French resistance is concerned, and one part V for Vendetta. Mm. Yeah. All right. I get to be V, right? I expect you guys to blow up the opera house while playing dramatic <laughs> music in the I background. Mean, that sounds game. amazing. <laughs> I don't know if we have enough explosives yet. Not yet. But, not uh, that, uh, that is definitely a yet thing. We can make those maybe sort of. I, don't I, know I, I said yet. I said Somebody yet. with brains tell me how to do that. But uh, yeah, I think that uh, just about wraps it up. Thank you, everybody, for sending in your letters, for sending in your well wishes, uh, just for listening, honestly. Yes. like We just yes. really yes. appreciate y'all. It's always fun to get a chance to go over what the heck just happened, because sometimes it is a lot. So mm-hmm. uh, I know I appreciate it for, for, for <laughs> sure. But yeah, anybody else have any closing remarks, any closing thoughts? Return back for episode number 10, which will begin part two of In Hell's Bright Shadow. Part two, (laughs) Rebuilding the Ravens. Uh I just got goosebumps. (laughs) All righty. Well, with that, then I suppose we're just going to go in and sign off. So until next time, Path Folk. Bye-bye. Good luck, Path Folk. Bye, Path Folk. (laughs) Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Hell's Rebels is copyright 2015. Hell's Rebels and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission. Find the Path Ventures have converted Hell's Rebels from Pathfinder to Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Conversion notes are available to our Patreon backers at patreon.com backslash findthepath. <laughs>